You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Archaeology in Ale, a free monthly public archaeology talk brought to you by Archaeology in the City, the community outreach program from the University of Sheffield's Department of Archaeology. The talks take place at the Red Deer, a popular pub on Pitt Street in Sheffield near the Archaeology Department. It is a busy place, so please be aware that there might be some background noise in our recording. This month, our guest speaker is David Inglis, a PhD student from the University of Sheffield's Archaeology Department. They're here speaking to us about Roman roads. As Nick says, I'm a current PhD student, but before I started my PhD, I did less academic work on Sheffield and the region's Roman roads. Now, wherever I've gone, there's quite a few people who have thought this frontispiece is a bit harsh. Uh, my own supervisor called it perjurative. Someone else the other night called it flipping. I nearly got lynched in Rotherham for it. But the truth, the reality is, Sheffield's Roman, Roman roads, and especially Sheffield's Roman roads, are a world of vivid colour, uh, vivid opinion, part fantasy, part reality. In the case of Sheffield, the Roman road record is really, really, really poorly recognised. Uh, and the frontispiece to this work is probably a perfect analogy for Roman roads in the region. We've got limestone meadows to the east, gritstone uplands to the west, yellow brick sandstone roads, uh, urban and industrial development obscuring the view of the past, and a ragtag brigade of Roman roadmen led by a woman called Dorothy. Excellent, <laughs> <laughs> uh, The merry Roman road people, I'm going to talk first about how the project started, what the research areas were, and a little bit about the archaeological protagonists of Roman road studies in the area, because the studies go back quite a quite a while, but the present study started, this is really my master's work, but it started at undergraduate level when the Time Travels, a community group from Door approached the university and said, we're looking for Roman roads. They recently excavated an estate centre in 2011 to the southwest of Sheffield. Uh, first time any real Roman activity had been found out, out that way, out of Sheffield, and they wondered how it was connected to the Roman world. So they approached Colin Merrily, my supervisor, you can call him that, uh, and I took the project on and I've basically been running what working with for the last three and a half years. The masters came about, we looked at it initially just two forts in the road between them for the undergraduate dissertation. Uh, the fort at Navio and the Peaks and at Templeborough in Rotherham. Uh, and during that time there was a document came was given to me by a member of the family of a guy called Frederick Preston who was a amateur archaeologist and a high-up member of the Hunter Archaeological Society for about 70 or 80 years, and it detailed quite a lot of Roman roads in the Sheffield area, although very few of them were proven, as we'll find out. So the second, the Masters sort of had that as a backbone, but as well as that, during the first campaign, we actually worked with Clifton Park Museum on the Dorothy Green Archive, which is a huge archive of material left by another member of the Hunter Archaeological Society, and she worked at Clifton Park Museum. But there was a lot of Roman sites in there that aren't on the SMR. And a lot of the Roman road work was detailed because she did most of the digging on the Roman roads in the past. So what we were trying to do was reconcile the work in the past with the stuff that we've been finding in the present. At the same time as that, South Yorkshire Archaeology Service also wrote to Bob Johnson at university and said, do we know about this Dorothy Green archive? So we became involved with them because Bob says, that I was working on it at that point. But over the last sort of three and a half years, we've had something like 250 volunteers working on the project. And old Ken's been one of my right-hand men. Uh, when we did the big, the big dig, because he stepped down when the students let us down uh, the night before. But we've also worked with people at Roman Roads Research Association, Pete Parker, my PhD partner, the National Trust, Derbyshire Council, Sheffield Council, groups like Artemis and the Hunter Archaeological Society. And then people like the Tinsley Time and Travel Project. The whole thing was funded by the Palmerston Scholarship. Thanks, man. Cheers. So we started basically with 
as I say, the, the research question, how did the evidence for Roman roads within the Sheffield region relate to recent discoveries within the area? And what we did was include the public in the whole archaeological process from research design through archive study, desk-based assessment, all into things like GIS analysis, geophysics, excavation, LIDAR. We used basically everything we could to look at these roads. There's, the evidence in the, in the field is so fragmented that we needed to throw every technique we had at it, really. Uh, and as I say, yeah, through a combination of archival research and archaeological fieldwork. But that gave the community, because we found, I found out a lot doing it. There's people that will work in the archives all day long with you, but they'll never go into the field and vice versa. There's people that work in the field never go into the archive at all. So it gave everybody a chance to participate in the project. So this is basically the, the, these roads here are the roads that were documented in this document that was given to me by the family of Frederick Preston. Now, the only road that's actually proven on this map is this road here that's running through Doncaster all the way down to Lincoln and up to Castleford, which is now heavily Romanised area of the landscape. That, a lot of that's scheduled, especially around the Doncaster area. Uh, and, and it's well proven that road. But as we come west off that line, all these roads here, there's nothing in the Sheffield area at all had any real evidence to suggest, well, there was evidence suggesting the Roman roads and people had put forward these theories in the past, but away from the forts, there had been absolutely no excavation work done. And to this, we obviously added the location. So our, our study really centred on the fort at Temple Ground, Rotherham, and the fort at Navio in the Peak District. So this is the map again, but to the study, we also added these sites that were within Dorothy Green Archive and not on the SMR to see what remained of them and how they related to these roads put forward in the document. We also had the full Romano-British records, uh, which are all lit, what the little black dots are. And as you can see, the, the eastern extent of the study area is quite heavily populated towards the north, but as we move west and into the Peak District, the settlements are a lot more dispersed and there's a lot fewer settlements in these areas. Out the roads, as I say, there's 200 kilometres plus, but a tiny, tiny fraction of that's ever been excavated and there's nothing ever been, there's no Roman evidence found with these roads, nothing that have been proven at all. I mean, Roman roads are notorious for not having material culture. And we looked at that as well. Part of the project, we tried to date one of the roads through OSL dating, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but that was really what we were looking at, the Roman landscape at the time. And some, of, as I say, some of the roads were partial routes, some of them were full routes described in the past, but very little evidence in the ground. So the other problem we had when we started, and I want somebody else to interpret this for me because I have no idea what this is. Uh, but I mean, the problem is over the last 20 years, there's been a move to look at lesser Romanized landscapes and appreciate that wherever the Romans went, the conditions they encountered weren't the same throughout the empire, but we get this sort of homogenous Romanization that occurs everywhere and everywhere's the same. We see it here at Whirlow Holland, the southwest of Sheffield. I mean, I, I called these people zombie sheep people in my dissertation. Yeah. I don't know why they came along and built their buildings and then decided, let's chase the children away. And then the parents are saying, I'm with the Romans, let's get rid of the kids. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the site was, th this is from the time travellers who have actually worked with them. And when I said to them, this is farcical, that they were like, well, why is it? It looks true to me. So you've got no military evidence at all. You've got some pottery that was on military sites as well, but you don't have evidence of the military at Wirlow Hall. But the problem is, when we see a map of the area, all we have is the military forts and these straight lines that run between them with the roads on. So that's where we started. But these differences that were in the operating conditions of the Roman Empire were also, there's also differences within the empire itself. The four occupation periods we have for the two forts at Temple Grant and Navio. This is the start of the Roman Empire. This is a, a fort pushed out into Brigantine territory to protect Queen Cartamandua's pro-Roman regime. This is the decline of the Roman Empire at the end. This is the retreat from Britain coming. And then the, the fort at Navio and the peaks, we have a period when the, the conquest of the forts when they're consolidating the peak district. And then we have this huge stretch here where they believe that the, the small fort in Abbey on the Peaks is actually monitoring the lead trade, which is the, my PhD focus, but 
So we've got four different types of occupation, even within the Roman force, but everybody takes it that we have a homogenous Roman Empire where they came, they conquered, built forts and roads, and then sat there for 400 years. But when I showed the time travellers this and tried to explain it, I mean, 60% of the time the Romans occupied this area, these forts weren't connected. Or there was no need to be because they weren't in operation together. When I explained this to the time travellers, the first thing their head man turned around to me and said was, well, what about the road between the forts? I said, well, it might not have been there. It might have been there. I mean, we were at the South Yorkshire Research Framework meeting the other week and Patrick Ottaway suggested that some of these roads weren't built till long after conquest, sometimes as long as 100 or 200 years after the Roman conquest. So this running around looking for roads between the forts might not be the best way to do it. So what we did with the research was try to look at it semi-chronologically, as, as and when the Romans would have needed these roads uh, and when they would have come into use, thanks a lot. So, as I say, Roman road studies in the Sheffield area date back to the 1870s when a leader excavated at the fort at Temple, which is no longer there. The fort was completely destroyed by the 1920s and it's now Brinsworth Strip Mill sits on the side down by the dawn and the whole area has been industrialised. But leader was the first one to notice a road leaving and in Leader's Day, he followed this road all the way from the Fort of Templeborough all the way to the centre of Sheffield, to the confluence of the River Sheep and Don. But it was gone within the next sort of 30, 40 years. So Leader proposed these roads in the first place. Then they were proven by Green and Preston. Uh, Dorothy Green actually worked on the original excavations at Templeborough. And then she, start, she became collector of antiquities at, Roll, at Clifton Park Museum in Rotherham. She's the first professional archaeologist in the region. Uh, and Frederick Preston, who followed her in the sort of 1950s or so, was another member of the Hunter. But he was a bank manager by day and a Roman road person at night. Uh, and these were all, all these routes that they put forward and the, the, the roads that we showed you on the map were all legitimised within Marjorie's 1973 publication, Roman Roads in Britain. But what, since Marjorie's time, it was acknowledged at the Roman Road Research Conference that a lot of these roads were never, not Roman roads at all, and there's been a lot of Roman roads discovered since that time. So the Roman Road Research Association had come to us and said, can you look at the South Yorkshire region for us, and we'll get different groups around the country to look at all the regions, and we'll try and get an updated version of Marjorie's work for the 21st century. There's a number of other sources that we come across. Most of these are from the Peak District, uh, where there's very, very little evidence at all, which we'll come to. So, as I said, the leader of the pack was Dorothy Green, and she's an exceptional woman. I mean, she was born in the working-class community of Grindford at Barnsley. Uh, she was a pioneer rescue ar archaeologist. She bridges the gap between antiquarianism and commercial archaeology as we see it today, but her quote was Mary Bander Roman Roadman. that worked with her. And she worked with the community, she worked with schools, she worked with... I mean, her right-hand man was a grave digger by trade. Uh, they will come to... She was an engineer's drafts person as, as well, so the archive that she's left, which is something near 1,400 items, and it's not just Roman. There was 15-plus Roman excavations unpublished in there, which we obviously took and documented for the SMR. But there's another, there's thousands more items on Rotherham's churches, its history, notable families, businesses in the area. Her item is basically a national treasure that's she's seldom mentioned outside the Rotherham area. A, she published within the Hunter, the Yorkshire Archaeological Society Journal, and she was editor of the Yorkshire Archaeological Society as well. A, and she was, as I say, the first professional archaeologist in this region. A, and she remained so right up until sort of 70s and 80s when archaeology started developing as a profession. You can see the picture of her here at Adwickley Street, you can see the archaeologist's face there. <laughs> She, she was just involved in everything. I mean, this is brilliant when you consider today the boots would have to have on the PPE, the health and safety that goes with it. I've got pictures of her jumping in front of machines and stuff like that. She, she really was exceptional. But in recent years, there's been a lot of question on her work, which we'll come to later on. And when we picked up her research, we've been reading what other people had said about her. So our first question was, was she anything more than a romanticist and a fantasist? It turns out she was the real deal, but she really struggled for recognition without, throughout her career. This letter, for example, this is 1958, this, this letter, this is the year she retires from archaeology. 
And even after 40 years, she felt in the business, she felt that Rotherham Museum and the other people, the men at the Hunter Archaeological Society didn't even acknowledge she was an archaeologist, even though she was the only one being paid to do the work. Uh, at this time, there was a lot of falling out within the Hunter. The Hunter had produced, Frederick Preston had been her man and she, she worked with a lot on Roman roads and other things like the Roman rig. She'd done a lot of excavation work for him, which he he really deferred to her in the field because of her expertise. And she was quite critical of him because Preston, as we'll see, traces line across maps based on Roman finds and doesn't find any physical evidence in the ground. But Preston was a bank manager, so pretty good at administration. And he, he brought together what they called the Index for the Hunter Archaeological Society, which is what we now have as the South Yorkshire Sites and Monuments Record. It's the backbone of that. But at the time, it caused a lot of trouble basically because they were putting this information of what they were discovering archaeologically onto the index and the other members of the hunter were just going out on the weekend and chopping it to bits and digging it up what they wanted and she wasn't happy with the way this was this was occurring. But as I say, even after 40 years, she wasn't respected within the archaeological community. Preston seems to have been a go between, between her and the hunter uh, and, and she didn't seem to ever gel or bond, even though she was a member for 80 years and a secretary at some point as well. But in this letter, she says that she was going to write up her material. And as I say, there was 15 plus unpublished excavations. Her legacy falls down because she didn't do this work. She didn't do the reporting and what she actually excavated. And she makes excuses later on that we'll see. Uh, and this is really what damaged her legacy because she should be better celebrated than she is. For example, the Ella Armitage building. Ella Armitage wasn't from Sheffield. But she went to Sheffield Uni. She got an honorary master's from Sheffield Union. She's born in working class Grindford just up the road. It should be the Dorothy Green building to me, but there you go. And this really shows our resilience. This was an unmarked postcard that we found in our, our archive. Uh, and it says, don't worry, he knows. And I think it's referring to Preston, but you see the 20 tons there and Dorothy Green balancing and the scales on him. But the, her archive was like Coronation Street. Every second page, there was a letter like this. There's, there's things she's talking to OGS Crawford, the aerial supremo and editor of Antiquity at the time, when she's saying you can't trust Preston, you can't do this, you can't do that. <laughs> there's other ones where her and Preston are joking about other people, the other members of the Hunter being basically flat uppers, uppers because they, be, they thought that the Roman wreck was Roman, even though Green had excavated it and found Roman material in the upper fills of the ditch rather than lower down. BGH O'Neill, who was the head of the British Museum at the time, writes to him and says, I like your flowery style of writing, which is just as condescending as you'll ever get. Uh, but it sort of puts into perspective how much she struggled uh, during these years for any recognition at all, and why not getting that recognition, she's almost forgotten now outside Rotherham. So we're going to move on now to the actual work that we did uh, during the last three years. As I say, we tried to look at it chronologically, as and when the Romans needed their roads. So as I say, Templebra was an early fort thrust into Brigantine territory to protect Cartimandua. And at the same time, we have settlement developing at Doncaster and Rossington with the big Roman camp there and Lincoln to the east and down to the south in Chesterfield. And it's, at this time, obviously, the fort would have needed support, probably at least from Chesterfield and Doncaster. So we looked at a few of the roads, mainly the Doncaster Road and what they call Ricknell Street, which runs from Chesterfield all the way up and through Temple. But I mean, Ricknell Street actually runs from way down Exeter way to Tyneside. But the section that we were looking at runs from Chesterfield area up to the Fort at Temple. But there isn't a lot of evidence for this in the ground. Uh, the Doncaster Road has been obliterated, we think, by industry. We looked in some of the field areas and on LIDAR and things outside Doncaster, but couldn't really see anything there. Rignall Street on the Roman Road Research Association page has four routes between Chesterfield and Doncaster, despite it being excavated five times on the, the one route to the west of the Rother. There's offshoots to Rignall Street there as well, but really the only confirmed one, as I say, was down the road through Doncaster and down to Lincoln. So as I say, we did look at the, the road between Doncaster and, and Templebra, but the only thing that we could find there was an, unex, a, an excavation record that Green had for a, a Roman enclosure, we believe. Uh, there was a Roman coin in it at Clifton Park Museum, which is our spiritual home. And we're talking about our need for the project to bring these records out and put them in the SMR. 
This feature lies within Clifton Parking Museum, didn't even know it was there, even though they hold the archive. So there's a, there's a huge gulf between these old records and this digitised age that we live in, where information is quite readily easily identifiable. The Roman road ran quite close to there. There was a couple other Roman finds in the area. The major one that we wanted to look at was Ricknell Street, and when we looked at the records, Green had excavated it four or five times between the fort at Templeborough south to Tatcliffe. But we looked at it the other way as well, and again, there was excavation records there that were given to us. It was excavated by Derbyshire Archaeological Society in Clive Hart in the 1970s, but this information is not on the SMR. Some of these enclosures are on the SMR that we see dotted, and they're they talk about a Roman road running in close vicinity, but the actual road itself wasn't an SMR. We got, we got the section drawings and we got photographs of the sites. We've managed to get this site established now. But the other thing that we found when we looked at this, you can see this thing from space on LIDAR. Basically, the, it's as clear as day. We've got it running for nearly a kilometre across the hillside there and a, a junction on it as well. We didn't feel, therefore, that we needed to do any further work because it, we had these excavation records that we'd found the original ones and we managed to get them digitised. Uh, and we had this LIDAR that shows pretty well, but it might be somewhere to work on in future, I'd say. We then looked at going into the Peak District. Now, as I say, the original study and my undergraduate had just looked at this section here, really, at uh, the area between the two forts to see if there was a road going into the Peak District. And there's two routes put forward. There was a road which leader excavated leaving the fort. Uh, sorry, if you flip on to the next one. So it was excavated within the vicinity of the fort by leader in the 1870s. Then when they built the rolling mills at Brinsworth, Green found a section of it in the foundation cut for the rolling mills. But that was really as far as the record went. So wherever we go, we've only got the roads as far as about 200, 300 metres from the forts. Uh, to the north to the north, north of Sheffield at Redmire's Red, Reservoir, Preston had excavated in the 1950s and suggested that this was the Roman road linking the fort and was going across Stanage Edge into the Peak District. Now he excavated at Lodge Moor, which was somewhere around about here where he actually excavated it. We targeted this area with geophysics this area had been stripped previously for a pipeline. An area we see here at Lodge Muir Hospital that actually targeted his road four or five times in the hospital when they were doing work over the last few decades and they've never ever found it, this road going any further than the site where Preston found it. Having seen the photographs of Preston's excavation in Green's file when he was asking for advice, it just looks like a deposit of rubble. Uh, there's no ditches, there's nothing else. It just was a very, very rough surface at best, and he didn't excavate enough of it to see if it was moving in any direction. So in the original study, we started looking at different routes into the piece because this road that Preston's suggesting, running it over Stanage Edge and down Bamford Clough is almost impossible. Now when we consider that most people are putting forward that this is the lead route, route out of the peaks to the east, going up to the Humber estuary and then uh, shipping lead all over the Roman Empire, it's almost impossible. Uh, this, this, I mean, this, the hill at Bamford Clough is like that. I've walked up it myself and I'm nearly dead. Uh, <laughs> and then you've got the, the actual physical barrier standage edge. I was out there two days ago again looking uh, at, at various things, uh, but I, we couldn't see it. We can't find any other part of it. As I say, this was the only bit of Roman road excavated away from the fort, so sorry. Yeah. So we looked, there was another alternative offered, which enters the Peak District in a much easier a gradient. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, Preston site was out here at Lodge Muir, but as I say, it was over this, these huge physical barriers at Stanage Edge. The modern road into the Peak District leaves Sheffield with the southwest and the northwest. Nothing goes, there's no road straight from Sheffield to Manchester across Stanage Edge or through Bamford or anywhere like that. So we looked at this easier gradient. And there was a partial route put forward in the 1970s by a guy called Tom Welsh, which you can see climbing up here. Yeah, next one's fine. Oh, no, back one. Oh, no, next one. No, I'll leave it there, sorry. <laughs> I've jumped ahead of myself. We'll go, we'll go to Tom Mills, she's working in a minute. 
even even at the forts, uh, the roads are not very well defined. I mean, the roads in the Vicus and running down from Buxton at Navio in the Peak District are, are very clear in geophysical survey. We had them. There was a partial road excavated here in the 1980s. But there's four or five different routes put forward for the roads heading towards Sheffield from the Peak District. The first one, the top one, was excavated apparently by Peter Rowe in the 1980s, but during the course of our project, he wrote to us and said he doesn't think that was a Roman road he excavated, but never put forward what he did excavate. <laughs> the Roman Road Research Association told us this was it, but we did get this, but it was a field boundary when we when we looked at the older maps. It lines up perfectly with the, with the field boundaries, and it actually stopped when the field boundary stopped, the old field boundary stopped, so we, we put that to the field boundaries. Then we looked at the... I mean, we, we geophysical surveyed last year right the way across the valley to try and find this route heading uh, eastwards. The only bit we couldn't do was the, the, the steep slopes of hill, which are now we did. We put a number of test pits in there, uh, just up from the fort, and we did find a ditch similar to the ditches excavated within the Vicus on the roads. But unfortunately, the other side of that ditch is lying underneath the modern field boundary, so we couldn't do any further excavation that way to see if there was a road surface inside it. But we do have some geophysical information on that line, just further along the fields where it rises up onto the level. We do think there is, that's probably the best route for the road as it comes through the Vicus here and goes up the hill on the more gentle incline. So we had an idea of where we should be looking, which side of the river, because as I say, there's two routes put forward into the Peak the one that's on the easy gradient, and then this one that goes over Stanage Edge now. This one lines up with the features that Tom Welsh sort of put forward in the 1970s. As I say, he followed the road across Houndcourt Moor. And in the 1970s, he'd been walking on Houndcourt Moor. And there'd been a heath fire at the time, and he noticed this surface with two ditches at the side. And he went to the archaeologist at university at Peak Park, all over Sheffield at the council, everywhere, and says, I think this is a Roman road. And they all said, go away, you're a geographer, you don't know. I'm a bank manager from The Hunter and you're a physical geographer. You're nothing like a landscape archaeologist. <laughs> and nobody ever looked at this road. Now, it wasn't the only monument Tom Welsh found at this time. There's recently, last year, Tim Cockrell and the university excavated a possible Henge monument at Whirlow Hall Farm. Tom Welsh put that, had actually recorded that feature in the 1970s and on the archive for that feature of the SMR, someone's written rubbish across it. <laughs> so we've got two of the biggest monuments in the Sheffield area within a mile of each other, discovered within a year of each other, and the archaeologists couldn't be bothered going out to have a look at it. Dern, in the 1980s, called it an impractical detour. Uh, Dern did the synthesis of the Roman fort at Navio. But in truth, and Carl identified, Carl actually looked at this road, a library study of it in the... 2005, wasn't it, Cal? Yeah. He worked out it was about a mile and a half longer if the roads are connecting forward. And on that easier gradient, it's going to be much quicker than going up and down the, the steep hills. When Bevan looked at this route in 2006, he said none of the surviving earthworks were convincingly Roman. And there was no archaeological evidence. So what the archaeologists should have done was gone along and dug this feature. Tom Welsh isn't the nicest guy to get on with. I send him an email and he sends me one back and he moans at everything. Every chapter in his book ends with, if only the archaeologists would believe me. But as high as historic, historic England were telling people not to buy his book in 2009, we went to a, a, a quite a senior archaeologist within the Derbyshire region recently and told him that we'd excavated this route and he turned his back on us and walked away. That's how much Tom Welsh is liked by the community. <coughs> Even when he wrote recently to thank me and Tim Cockrell for bringing these features to light in the modern era, the first four pages of the email were basically, I hate this person, that person, and that person. <laughs> it's all the government's fault and everybody else's. And in his book, he writes, it takes more time than a lifetime to change anything in archaeology. But we actually excavated this site. I, I did email and says it only takes half a lifetime, Tom, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but we did some trial trenches in... 2015, I think it was now, on this feature. And it's, you can see it, we're looking straight down towards Sheffield here, and the Roman Fort at Templebridge in this area here. So it's got an absolutely brilliant view shed as it comes off the peaks into the Sheffield region. Between the two outer ditches on the road, which are the two ranging rods, is about 30 metres, so it's absolutely colossal, this structure. And we've mapped most of it, we've surveyed most of it now, 
And we've done two excavations, the first in 2015 and the next one in 2016. Part of the feature is still open and the, the two open ditches on that side are still used as hallways for foot traffic today. But we went back after we done the, we did a, a trial excavation, as I say, in 2015, and we found this lovely, beautiful five metres wide ditch with a lovely channel cut into the bottom of it, a beautiful reverted bank embankment on one side. And then we found a road surface with wheel ruts and everything and, and the second trench that we did. We did the first excavation during Hurricane Doris when it was blowing wheelbarrows and things <laughs> down the hill. And it was absolutely, absolutely terrible in the middle of December. So we went back the next summer to do a much bigger excavation right across the road surface and, and across the lower ditch. But between that time uh, and the excavation, just about a month before we did the second excavation, there was a second excavation at Whirlow Hall Farm, which is about 100 metres or so that way. And during that excavation on the hilltop, just at the side of the picture there, they found this square enclosure, which according to some people is a signal station. In reality, it's probably just enclosure because there's no defensive features. There's, there's nothing there. The only thing it does is overlook the roads both ways into Sheffield and, and up to the peaks. The problem with it is this isn't the best point in the landscape to put it. The best point in the landscape to put it would be that way at the top of the hill, where it's got a view shed right across Hankirk Moor and right down towards Sheffield. So there is some argument. It might be something that we dig during the undergraduate research field school this summer is actually redig this signal station because all they did was put a trial trench across the ditches and really got no information apart from the Roman dates from it. There's supposed to be post holes and all sorts of things inside it on the geophysical survey, but they need to start, they need to excavate those things and see if there's actually any structure involved in it, whether it was just some sort of small enclosure. So as I say, we, we excavated across the full road surface. Now the first year we'd excavated this top ditch and a small bit of the road surface. Hey, the, the road itself was about 18 metres wide, up to a one metre depth in construction and showed at least 12 repair levels of it. The last of these repair levels was basically just soil thrown in, so there was some poor workmanship. The top half of the road, the, the, there was two central ditches as well, which were about a metre wide, but they separated what seemed to appear like a, a running surface with wheel ruts and tracks that was about three metres wide. But once we got past this central ditch in the, in the middle of the road here, everything deteriorated as we came downhill. It appeared basically when we were excavating that it had been used long after Roman times and that gravity and water, I mean, if anybody's ever walk, walked up Houndcut Road, it's a dry riverbed until it rains and then it's a river. Uh, gravity and water and everything had pulled basically the road surface all the way into the, the lower ditch. So we had these two huge boundary ditches. Uh, and as I say, the latest sequence of repairs was really, really bad. It was quite a graded construction and it looked quite well, but the problem is I've dug about four or five Roman roads now, none of them are the same. You never get this, oh, there's the agar and there's the ditches. I mean, for example, at Rossington Camp, with the, you can see the, the road in Lydert, but when excavated with Archaeological Services YAS a couple of summers ago, there's none of the road, the, the entire road surface had been removed to improve the land for agriculture. All there was was two beds of sand with a thin layer of clay between them and the side ditches, no stone at all. This one, this side of the road was deteriorated badly. Uh, but we also believe we had a ditch terminal there at the bottom side, which is why we'd opened over this, this lower ditch in the second year. Yeah. So the actual original geophysics had showed us that we had a ditch terminal and we thought, oh, we'll get pottery in there and we'll get all sorts of dating stuff and we'll be absolute heroes. Unfortunately, there was no terminus at all. What had happened is that every, every stone off the road, everything had just been deposited into these outer ditches. In addition, there'd been a much later ditch cut on the outside. So we can see the V-shaped Roman ditch on the roadside here. And this later sort of big bellied sort of medieval ditch on the outside. I mean, this, this, this was the drain channel in the upper ditch from the, the dig we did in the December previous, which is beautiful, a little cut channel right in the centre of the ditch. But this one had a channel that was about a metre wide at the bottom of it. The inner ditch was completely filled with mass movement of stone. It had been, and this is why it showed, we showed the terminus in the geophysical survey because there was so much stone in the ditch that it couldn't tell there was an actual ditch there on the survey. 
Hey, so we are, we OSL dated the road. Now this had never been tried on any Roman roads previously, so it was the first time anybody had done it. But the only place we could actually get the samples into the section because we've got to. What OSL dating does is basically gets a date from trapped from trapped elections in the sand. Now that sand's been exposed to sunlight in the past, say like two thousand years ago, it's then reburied, but. The election stored in it when they're released in the laboratory, laboratory it gives us these dates. So we could only get the actual samples into this outer ditch, but we got dates right across the medieval period, and we had another medieval layer up here with some cobbles and medieval pottery in it. So this the part inside it is obviously earlier than this, but we didn't get any Roman dates at all, unfortunately. But it's some, something to look at if I ever dig a Roman road again is using this sort of technique. And I did suggest it at the South Yorkshire Research Framework meeting that if we've got no material culture with these roads, that we need to be looking at OSL dating and trying to get that there. But it is expensive. I mean, in most UK labs, it's about £1,000 plus that. Uh, yeah, I had to work a lot for that. <laughs> no. We got a deal from the Department of Geography, to be fair, and uh, Mrs. Merini. Uh, but, yeah, so... We couldn't get any dates because there was so much stone in the Roman ditch, we could only get the samples into this outer ditch. So it was a bit disappointing there, but what it did prove was that originally everybody had attacked this route by Welsh. I mean, this is Preston right in here. This is actually the SMR entry as well. And when Welsh put this road forward, as I say, everybody in the world, in the archaeological world, just said, no, you're lying, it's not a Roman road, we're not going to look at it, you don't know what you're doing. Preston went out his way, and I think he went out his way to protect his route, which was the northern route through Sheffield that he said he'd excavated. He even gets one of his friends here from the Hunter to detract from Welsh's statement as well. So the whole archaeological community, when you've got people like Dern and Bevan still writing 20, 30 years later that this isn't a Roman road, yet nobody's looked at it, and you can see this thing from the moon, basically. It just seemed a bit, a bit much, but... Preston's weight within the archaeological community, I mean, he, he carried a huge weight and it, it still goes on to this day. As I say, Welsh bemoans everybody. That, what personally bemoans the most is Preston. And one of the things that Welsh told us recently, a member of the Hunter Society called Leslie Butcher, when he died, he had his wife burn his archive lest it fell into Preston's hands. <laughs> <laughs> so then we looked at this, the, the wider landscape, the, all these other little roads that Preston had put into this book and, and wondered really what they had to do with the Roman occupation. Now there was an extension of this main northern route which goes through Spa House, over the roller coaster at Spa House uh, and east towards Bartry and possibly Lincolnshire that they said was the lead route. There was other roads around Ulley. These were all, both these roads were excavated by Dorothy Green several times. A road northeast out of Sheffield running along Hunshelf and we did we did some work up here, we didn't find anything. I've recently been told that where we did do the work, metal detectorists have found a Roman medallion a, and they've excavated a field boundary as well. <laughs> we think it's Roman, but it's a field boundary. But they, yeah, they, they, I wouldn't let them have metal detectorists on my side, the community group up there, and then they went back a few weeks later and dug up this thing. So I don't know whether I should, should have let them on <laughs> and kept a control on what they were doing. Oh, let them run right. It's 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 lose lose with metal detectors. Uh, and then there's this other route. Now this was one of the ones Green was talking about. Preston just builds this route out of Roman finds along along this road running through Sheffield. But the two main ones we looked at were these two roads here. Now the first one was the Catcliffe to Old Coast, which Green excavated twice. And she like, she excavated a lot, she excavated several times more to the east, but she doesn't have any written records for it, apart from saying, I excavated it further east. The problem with this road that we found in Green's writing was that she noticed these bridge abutments and she changes her route three times to, to go through these, to pass these bridge abutments and her site plans. But she also says in the write-up, which she published in the, in the Hunter Archaeological Society, the Ulley Brook took a different course in Roman times. So why have we got Roman bridge abutments in a brook that wasn't there in Roman times? Uh, there was then other things that she says in the report. She expected a north-south road 
There was differences in construction from the Roman roads that she'd excavated elsewhere, including a culvert. Now, that could have been because the spa, spa house required a culvert to keep water off the road. But it's much more likely the, the big house in the area was Gulfway Hall, which belonged to the Bishop of Norfolk. And when he sold it to George Westby about 1800 or so, George Westby built spa house across the valley facing Gulfway Hall for his friend to live in. Now, the green excavations happened between both houses, and what I think there is was a road linking both houses, which this is the bridge for, and she's excavated that. And these, uh, as I say, she changed the site plan multiple times, and, and she says she excavated it to the east, but there's no records at all. We went through all our site notebooks, absolutely through everything, but couldn't find any information there. But it all quotes where the road was heading, and during the project, everywhere I went, people crawling out the cupboards from Rotherham and saying, I knew Dorothy Green, here's some maps, or here's some papers, here's one of her diaries, here's her bedtime reading, and it, it was absolutely crazy. But two of the maps that she gave us, uh, somebody gave me, were for the old coach area, and what they were showing was cruciform road arrangements with these sort of camps around them. Now, it seems there's a lot of this archive, and I'll show you more slides in a second, but that these camps sprung up everywhere, whether they were temporary, whether they were real, I don't know. Uh, there is a Roman villa at Old Coast that was excavated about 1750 or so, and it's been reburied and left there, and there's been never any work done in it, but apparently there was a lot of rich finds, mosaic floors. We don't have any villas further west than this, really, in our study area. All the villas happen to the eastern side towards Doncaster area. Uh, but we couldn't see any information. I mean, mo most of our routeways are following modern roads. We couldn't see anything in Lydon in the fields or walk over there. We left that. At Braithwell, we had the same sort of arrangement, but we have a lot more information here. She did excavate a site here at Chapel Holt, which none of these sites were on the SMR again, but there, there was a, ro a Roman kiln on the SMR that sits just across the stream. And we, saw, we went on walk over this one in Lydon. She got a lot of material finds from here. She got a lot of Roman pottery, so it looks like a confirmed Roman site. You can still see the remains on walkover, you can see them on LIDAR. There is somewhere we did try to get geophysical survey on, but they didn't permit it. But we, we seem to have a lot more activity around this area. There was Roman cemeteries, as I say, the kilns, and a few other Roman buildings there. So that might be a site that we look at in future. But these were just two of the maps that, we gave, that gave, someone gave me that corresponded to this sort of route. And then at Ali, a there was also some excavations by Green. Again, she excavates very close together. And she talks again about excavating further to the east, but there's no written records for it at all within the archive. Her good friend Smedley from Doncaster Museum actually excavated here when he was building his house here. <laughs> but again, this this there was another cruciform road, road arrangement, but this Roman camp, again, but this was geophysical survey on it in about 2014 during a community project and he didn't find anything. So we were about to write this off, but it was on the summer field school last year and there's a second year undergraduate with the name of Thomas Dunn. And Thomas Dunn is the grandson of Thomas Walker, the grave digger, Dorothy Green's right-hand man. And he said to me, up in my attic, we've got all my granddad's notes. <laughs> so I said, bring them down to site tomorrow. <laughs> and Tom Walker had gone there when they were improving the field for agriculture and witnessed these two huge walls being removed. Now, there's quite a lot of Roman finds in the early area as well. But he'd actually written up that these two walls were removed completely. So that's maybe why they didn't get anything in geophysical survey in 2014. What it did show as well, though, was these huge free ditches to the southwest of the enclosure. And again, we've got we got permission just after the project stopped finished this year to actually do geophysical survey there. It's the Earl of Halifax owns all this land. And obviously it's got to go through his estates and it took forever to get the permissions, but he has written to us, so we're going to look at that in the future. I think they just did some geophysical survey over this area and some field walking previously, but again there was no material culture there. But Spa House, Ali, all these little roads were very, very close together between Kiveton Park and Canclo Bridge near the Roman Fort at Templeborough. For example, this is the this is the hilltop at Ali where the camp is, and this is basically where the Roman this chimney here is where the Roman Fort used to sit. So you've got great view sheds again, looking right across the landscape. This is Spa House in the foreground here. 
And all these roaming finds in the area. Uh, so we began to think this was probably the, the main area for actually looking at how the Roman advance happened in this region. There's, there's so, so much finds. We also did some least cost modelling, which was a sort of alternative to Preston's dotting finds on the map and drawn straight lines. We, we fed information into GIS, topography, Roman finds, bits of Roman road that had been excavated in prime Roman locations. And we looked at, firstly, this stretch of the Welsh road, which had always been proposed to be part of the ledge route running from Navio and the Peaks to Lincoln in the east and onto the River Trent and up to the Humber and out to the Roman world. And that basically followed the contours all the way through Kiveton Park. Now, Kiveton Park, there's a gap in the limestone ridge there where the canal runs today. There's also in this area, there's a, multi, a huge amount of Roman finds along this line. I actually went and looked at some data from the HS2 project last week, and there's another huge Roman enclosure just off this line that's just been discovered. But when I talk about the difference between the east and the west of this the study area, in the last few years, I've probably excavated a dozen or more sites this side of our study area for work. I've only excavated one on the Sheffield side of the M1 uh, that are actually Roman, so the, there seems to be a lot more in that way. But at Kiveton, we've also got lead finds, so we might have some from the peak, and we've got iron and metal work in there. So it could possibly be that we've got iron coming from Lincolnshire off the Jurassic Ridge, heading west, and the lead heading east in that direction. But as I say, what we really wanted to look at was whether the fort at Temple was connected to Lincolnshire through this gap. And again, the least cost took us through places like Spa House, Tanklow Bridge, which was used in the pre-Roman era, uh, and really we're going to stop tonight, but at Canclough Bridge, uh, Dorothy Green excavated a Roman town, or a proposed Roman town between sort of 1930s and 1940s. Now in 1986, and this is probably the biggest reason why Green is not respected in the South Yorkshire Accord, uh, Roman source book, Buckland states that Green's Roman town at Brinsworth is a myth and basically destroys an entire legacy. Nobody took any of her work seriously after that. But this is Rignall Street coming down from the fort and she did excavate that, as I say, sort of five times through Brinsworth, round the town here. She said at the time there's many hours of patient search and measuring and planning upon this area. The problem with Buckland's interpretation of the evidence is a myth that he was basically calling Green a fraud at this point. Now Green, wasn't the only person involved in this. We had Rotherham Council, Sheffield Council, the press. We had Phoenix Sports because they were developing the golf course at the time. We had the housing developers here. We also had the local community who were digging up a lot of Roman finds in their garden. So there was a lot of information sort of corroborating green stuff. But on the actual excavation, they only found four bits of pot and a single coin, which isn't a lot for a Roman site that's got nine roads. Another one of this bottom road here actually lines up coming from Canclough Bridge here with a late, much later farm trackway and she acknowledges that in later work. So she had about eight Roman roads. But for, I mean, and there was people at the British Museum and OGS Crawford, as I say, the Aerial Supremo were all involved in this work. But Buckland turns around in the 80s and says it's a myth. Now, we went through the archive looking for this information. Uh, what we found in there, Buckland's probably right, but there's something there because it's so well planned uh, so many people were involved. Green in 1999, just a few months before her death, when Michael Wood was writing his book in search of England stage, we started digging up a bit of a road and ended up finding a small town in Temple, which you never guessed was there. The whole thing was never published. It wasn't at the time too expensive. Now, bearing in mind what she'd said in 1958 about writing up her work and getting it published and getting the recognition that she deserved for it, she didn't do that. If she'd written five words a day before 1958 and 1999, she'd have a PhD thesis instead of an honorary master's. But she didn't do it, and this is what left everything open to question. The other problem with the Roman town is she actually traced this wall here, huge wall with turreted bastions on the outside of it. Now, this wall's still visible on LiDAR and Aerial on the golf course, and it looks like that. Part of the golf course is used as landscaping on this stretch here, but you can see this bit here. The problem was she sent this information to people at museums, and they were saying, well, the walls are on the outside, it's a medieval 
because it's it's not got the walls built, uh, the turrets built into the wall, and it's not Roman; it's medieval. But there's no records of any medieval medieval towns or sites on on at Brinsworth at all. And there's only one site plan. Both these features are recorded on together: the wall and the the roads. As soon as somebody questions the wall, she drops it from the plans as if she doesn't have enough confidence in herself because of the way she was being treated at the time. But as I say, you can clear, see, clearly see this on the golf course today. So we went to Phoenix Golf Club, had been involved in the original excavations and the council, we went all the way to the mayor of Rotherham and said, can we go on the golf course just for the, the magnetometer for 10 minutes, please? Or maybe do, because this is all gorse down here, could we do a couple of test pits there? But they just wouldn't have us at all. And we were saying the community was all involved previously, please do this for us. And, but they wouldn't have us. And you think Rotherham needed some good news stories today. <laughs> comes out. But uh, yeah, I nearly said that to the mayor, but <laughs> I did drop that. And this, I, re- I mean, there's been two generations on how- of houses on this now, so it's probably lost for eternity, most of it, although we might have some of it on this waste ground just at the golf course, but until we get time, I mean, even said to the golf course, I'll go on at night with some lamps, because mm. it will take me 20 minutes to do it. Uh, but the, no, they weren't having it at all, but this site really wrecked Green's legacy. Uh, and it's probably why she's not remembered the way she should be today. But as I say, there's a lot of a Roman roadwork, like the tracing of Rickman Street, when she's tracing it down from the fort, <coughs> it's very, very good. Uh, but this one, Buckland's interpretation in the 1980s seems to have just destroyed it. And from this point on, she's seldom recognised or talked about in wider circles. So to finish, really, in reality, it was impossible ever to answer the question, how does earlier archaeological evidence for Roman roads within the region relate to the recent discoveries? Sheffield's in the way, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> But this research was really just an update to the series of lectures held by leaders from the 1870s onwards on the highways and byways of Old Shefford and and the work of later protagonists like Green and Preston. It was blended with the new information to show the possibilities of of an extensive Roman road network. However, as I've said, this type of study is not conclusive. That can only be achieved by proper archaeological dated evidence coming from the ground. Hopefully for the communities in Sheffield who really begged me to do this, even though I never want to see another Roman road again. <laughs> this is this research is not a conclusion, but a starting point for them to go out now that we've got a backbone to work with and see if we can get any discoveries in Roman roads in the area. And I'm going to leave you with a quote from Preston who says, it's all a good game, one must keep one's mind free from obsession. Roman roads are apt to become a mania. Thank you for listening to Archaeology in Ale. For more information about our podcasts and guest speakers, please see the show notes that are accompanying this recording. You can get in touch with us at Archaeology in the City on Facebook, WordPress or Twitter. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. See you next time. This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.